what about being queer do you think gives you opportunities to minister that you wouldn't otherwise have? I have a tendency to just be unabashedly, authentically me. Hi, I'm Simeon Bruce. I use they, them pronouns, and I love Jesus a lot. I am getting ready to take vows of celibacy, simplicity, and service in the Episcopal Church. And I am Dan Levine. I am a licensed local pastor and a church in the Atlanta area and a first-year seminarian working towards elders' orders in the United Methodist Church. And you are listening to Here's the Tea, Sis. Hey folks, Editing Dan here. Welcome to Episode 2 of Here's the Tea, Sis. This podcast is simply a recorded conversation between my housemate Simeon and myself as we discuss our lives as queer, trans, and non-binary Christians called to life and service in different ways and in different faith traditions. If you didn't get a chance to check out our first episode entitled Denominations and Lighthouses, please check it out. There we discussed some denominational polity, and we also discussed how our queerness informs our ministry and our call. Today, we discuss diversity awareness and cultural sensitivity in ministry settings, as well as talking more about our queer identities. Towards the end, we get on a little bit of a tangent about regional mannerisms. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the tea. So one of the things that happened yesterday we didn't get to talk about. Mm. I I received an email from one of my colleagues at the church Mm. about one of the songs we chose. And part of it was we were doing it at the last minute. Didn't really look closely at some of Mm. the words. Uh. And um, it... I realized as we were singing it that it was problematic. Ooh. Oh, no. Oh, no. And apparently everybody else who's on staff or was participating in the service also at that moment, while we were singing it and looking at the screen, realized it as well. Oh, no. And that's one of those things that had I been typing it, I would have noticed it, but mm-hmm. I was importing mm-hmm. lyrics instead. Mm-hmm. So it's this song called Yezu Yezu. Oh, yes. It's the Ghanaian mm-hmm. spiritual song. Yeah, I love by, that song. Written by, what he, is he Scottish, I think? Oh, uh, I did not know that. Oh, yeah. It's it's a Ghanaian folk song that was adapted by a Scottish missionary. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, do you remember the first verse? I, kneels show the, us how kneels to at the feet of feet his of friends, friends, silently washing their, their feet. feet. Master acting as a slave to them. Oh. And then the last verse also uses, uh, it's kneel at the feet of our friends, silently washing their feet. Um, and then it talks about us acting as slaves. Oh, and it was uh-uh. nope. super, super uncomfortable. Nope. Um, and one of those reasons why we have to be so careful Yes. about what we're putting in front of our children and also okay i have a horror story along these lines also who we invite to be our guest preachers one time this guy okay so holy comforter is this really um one of the things that i think is so incredible about holy comforter is that it really actually is a diverse community and so many episcopal churches want to be 
but are not willing to ask themselves the hard questions about how to get there and why the work isn't happening. Yeah. And also aren't willing to acknowledge the realities of the way the, sorry, the reality of the ways that past harms have structured the current situation in the current religious landscape. Yeah. And so they're not doing the work. And I think at Holy Comforter, you have this sort of both and situation where on the one hand, there is diversity, but on the other hand, that diversity relies on kind of this charity model for its coexistence with the right that there are folks who take the church van to church and i'm not saying i don't think what holy comforter is doing is incredible i really truly do but i i I think that it's sort of one of those situations where it's the best we can do in the absence of real justice but were we living in a society where there was real justice we wouldn't have to have a congregation like Holy Comforter, yeah. right? There wouldn't be people who had no access to food if it weren't for our programs during the week. There wouldn't be people who have no access to mental health resources if they weren't receiving them through a connection to Grady that happened because of our church. Yeah. There wouldn't be people who couldn't make it to church if we didn't send a van to go pick them up. There wouldn't be people living in these horrifying, vulturous personal care homes right if we had real justice so i i don't think what holy comforter is doing is wrong i think it's the best in a flawed context yeah and the reality of the context is that yeah there are two very different classes of people who attend holy comforter um one primarily black and brown Mm -hmm. people who are living on social security disability income yeah and the other, a class of primarily white folks who attend that church and are personally committed to sustaining the ministry of that church to those folks who need it, right? Um, Which is good. Like, that's them putting their money where their mouth is and actually standing up for justice. I think that that's important work. Um, Yeah. and But... All that to say, sorry, that was a really long That's fine. tangent. Um, we invited a guest preacher one time to this genuinely diverse congregation. And I knew there was going to be a problem when he called ahead of time to ask if he thought, if we thought, sorry, it was going to be okay for him to drive. He had just bought a Mercedes, mind you. And did we think that it was going to be safe for him to drive his Mercedes down to Grant Park and park it in our church lot what? for the duration of the service. That's ridiculous. That's where I, as a senior pastor, would have said, you know what, it's not. And, you know, it's okay. We, we'll we we'll find We'll do morning else. prayer without you. We'll yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll, we'll do something without you. Now, one of the things that it was uh, part of my sermon yesterday one of the things I, I was very careful to say in my sermon yesterday was we're not, it's, we're serving with people. Mm-hmm. It's not, it, we're not in service to yes. people. And yes. for the time that we are in service to people, it's to build them up so that we can be in service with them. Yes. It has nothing to do about 
us coming in. Mm-hmm. You know that whole white colonialist thing savior, that we did? Savior, yes, the white savior thing, yeah. In, mm-hmm. you know, 90% of the world where we have, um, as a culture, Western culture has overtaken mm. so many different cultures throughout the world mm-hmm. and, and replaced them with what they thought was the right thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's very important to remember that we're here to serve with people. Mm-hmm. We're And in the times that they're not able to serve with us, we help to build them up mm-hmm. to the point where they can. Whether or not they're within our same faith ideologies oh, sure. or, or anything like that. Oh, sure. It has more to do with, with being with one another mm-hmm. and saying, I'm here for you, mm-hmm. with you. Not to do things to you or for you. Or at you. Or at you. Oh, I hate the at service. Yes. That's. I think it's interesting because Holy Comforter stands in this really interesting space where some of that is possible and some of it isn't. Hmm. Um, So. You know, on the one hand, I think we do a really good job of being present in people's lives, um, in each other's lives, on days other than Sunday, and demonstrating our commitment to each other outside of just Sunday, um, through our programs during the week. I think also, though, that we have to acknowledge that some members of our congregation... um, not and it's not that they're not able there are some members of our congregation who are you know very very disabled reliant on others for every movement that they make reliant on others for food getting dressed everything and there are certain activities that those members of our congregation simply cannot undertake that's just like facts but I think there's and there's this population of folks who join with us in community who are reliant on social security disability income are living in personal care homes Mm -hmm. that's the situation that they're in and that they're gonna be in yeah but they would still like to be supportive of the community as a whole, they still want to be involved in the ministry, right? They want to acolyte, they want to lecture, they want to be part of the worship service itself. And we always encourage that. I think one thing that we fail to have respect for is the choice of some of our community members not to do that, Mm. right? So like some of our community members are not really interested in giving back. Yeah. They just want a quiet place to sit and have a smoke Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Sunday again, right? Like they genuinely, yeah. that's all they want out of Holy Comforter is they want a place where they can be quiet, have peace, and smoke cigarettes. And I think we do a disservice to those people when we kind of deny them that choice. Yeah. Right? We There are ways that we end up structuring our program to try and encourage people to leave the smoking area and go do other things that we deem more valuable. Yeah. 
like, you know, go get in the garden, go do yoga, go do bingo. And we pretend that what's going on in the smoking area is not also real work. Yeah. That that's not those people ministering to one another. Yeah. In its own way. Yeah. And I think, um, to go back to the horror story of that just incredibly insensitive preacher, after calling to ask if it was going to be okay to drive his Mercedes down to Grant Park, he proceeded to come and deliver a sermon on the Beatitudes. Oh, good grief. In which he straight up said, and I quote, Jesus said that we're to be the salt of the earth. (laughs) What's the first thing you notice about salt? That it's pure. It's white. Good. Straight up said that in front of a church full of black people. And I was just like, "Ah!" Like, you are a living nightmare. Welcome to hell. Oh, no. That is. I could not believe he's not been invited back since. Well, I would say not. Um, but it was a lot. It was really a lot. Oh, yeah. Nobody liked it. I can imagine. I I couldn't imagine why. (laughs) Sheesh. I want to return to the question that I was asking you last night, and I want to hear what about being queer do you think gives you opportunities to minister that you wouldn't otherwise have? Like, how does that bless your ministry and how is it honestly integral to the ministry that you do? Like, cause I can't imagine you, I've only known you a very brief time, but I can't imagine you as a minister without your queerness. Oh, that's sweet. Like it's inherent in how you rock and roll as you put it. Yeah. Well, I, I have a tendency to just be unabashedly authentically me in every space. Huge mood. Um, and I'm not sure that all of my congregation knows that I'm trans because mm-hmm. it's not something that I explicitly say. You didn't get up in your sermon yesterday and be like, hey, everybody. No, it's and the only time that I ever had a coming out during a sermon mm. was, was when I came out as bi. Mm. And that was because I feel betrayed. You've told me so many times that you're gay. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not gay either. It's fine. That's before I came out as as trans. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, same. I had a similar progression where I was like, I'm gay. And then I was like, oh, this has a lot more to do with gender than it does with attraction. Pretty much. And then I took testosterone and I was like, wow, everyone's hot. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I was bi before I was trans. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> good for you that's some good self-awareness quality quality yeah, it, and i say i'm bi but i'm really demisexual i mm-hmm. don't really develop sexual attraction mm-hmm. unless i'm really close with somebody already mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which has made you know friendships very awkward <laughs> over the years. that is really complicated i agree i agree been there been um, there but no in, in some of what i do the most memorable moment that i have as being pastor and a minister before i was licensed i worked at a church in connecticut Mm -hmm. while i was working on my associate's degree and was that the kinesiology one no this one that it's just a liberal arts and sciences associate oh covers all my general education requirements Mm -hmm. leading to two years of nonstop history but (laughs) (laughs) yes (sighs) 
But much love for history. I no wonder you're a night much owl. Love. Yes, you yes. didn't get a choice about being a night owl. Correct. Not okay. Really. <laughs> I'm, I'm also not really a morning person. And if you ask my mom, my sister, or my niece, it, that I've never been a morning person. Okay. Um, I'm the kind of person they, that my brother would turn on the light, rip off my blankets, and say, It's morning. Get the f*** up. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. I was that child in our family that would wake the other siblings up. So Yeah, not not me. I'm spiritually sorry for all the times that I've been spiritually present to that happening to you. Because I've definitely been that person. Yeah. That's woken you up. Yeah. Very rarely. In spirit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, back to the question at hand. Sorry, yes. Um, Well, for me... It took me a very long time to even admit my queerness to myself. Why do you think that is? I grew up in a small conservative town, Mm. in a conservative church, raised to be a conservative, Mm -hmm. went to North Carolina. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I opened my mind to possibly being wrong Mm -hmm. and doing a deeper dive into scripture Mm -hmm. that I was able to understand that God didn't want me to fight with myself. Yeah. Mm. Um, My queerness has helped me reach people that others could not. Yeah. Uh, One person in particular shared a story with me out of nowhere. We were just sitting at a table Mm -hmm. and she shared that the reason she refused to go to church was because one day the Catholic priest found out that she was not straight mm. and proceeded to preach an entire sermon on how homosexuality was wrong and looked her directly in the eyes and Holy said, cow. anyone who has these homosexual thoughts needs to understand that they need to repent of their sins or they're going to hell wow. and come to confession because they're going to hell. Whew. And I somewhat remember what I said, but I've had several moments in my life where I was the right person Mm. to be in the right place at the right Mm. moment. Mm -hmm. And I just let God speak through me. Yeah. And I said, on behalf of all clergy, I am sorry. Yeah. Mm. God doesn't hate you. God created you this way and you are perfect in God's eyes. Real talk. And There is nothing that you can do that can separate you from God's love. Mm. And I am so sorry that someone hurt you that badly Mm. and told you that you couldn't be loved. Yeah. Mm. Because of who you were created to be. Mm. There is nothing wrong with you. Yeah. Mm. And at that moment, I realized that with my sexuality, and my gender identity, mm-hmm. because that was before I even came out as trans too. So at that point, as someone who wasn't straight, mm-hmm. serving in a church that affirmed mm-hmm. all of God's creation, forget this welcoming and inclusion, affirmed, Ooh, because yes. that's a whole separate thing that I have been pushing on a lot of different parents within the United Methodist Church, mm-hmm. um, being you know with all the crap we're going through. Right. But that was one of the biggest things for me is sitting around a table with people and saying, no, 
we no longer are talking about inclusion. We are no longer talking about welcome. We're talking about full reconciliation and affirmation. Yes. That's it. I will accept nothing less mm. from a congregation than affirmation. Mm. And for me, going into a community coming from Connecticut to North Georgia, understanding, for me at least, that meant I need to get people to know who I am first before they know who I am. I need to get have them get to know me as just, in general, me. Right. Mm. Before I disclose anything else. Right. Sure. Because it's so important that people have examples of good people that they meet mm-hmm. and they get to know. Mm-hmm. And when I first met, had a conversation with my, um, my boss's husband, who's one of the professors at the school, mm-hmm. he said, if no one had told me that you were trans, I would not have known. See, and I that, feel incredibly awkward when people say that to me. I felt... It was kind of one of those bittersweet things. Right. It's like, so my visibility is wearing off, is mm-hmm. what you're saying. Yeah. And I could very well go stealth if I wanted to, apparently. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. But, oh, you absolutely could. But Yes, to affirm that, 100%. But is that something that I truly want to do, especially right now? Right. With everything that's going on secular world-wise? And... Well, you're out online, so honey, you're out forever. No. Sorry. <laughs> oh, is that, there's is no that putting that is? genie back in the bottle hun. <laughs> yeah <laughs> is that what we just did <laughs> no it's uh, i'm also out to my annual conference and i have a bishop that cares for me and supports me mm-hmm. in everything i do you know i will say the one thing i'm most nervous about with this whole like podcast setup yep is that my voice often gets me misgendered over the phone. And so, like, I have a lot of dysphoria about my voice. And earlier today, I spoke with someone over the phone who had not heard my voice previously. Mm -hmm. And he assumed that my pronouns were he, him, which I'm more fine with than she, her. But it is honestly, like, it really sucks when... Oh, yeah. I'm on the phone with folks and this happens to me all the time because my voice post T is not very deep. I had like a bell like first soprano voice before T and Mm. I get mammed on the phone all the time now. That's the norm for me. Yeah. For, for me, it was relatively early. I started voice training two months before Mm. starting Mm -hmm. T. Yeah. So when, I did that. I worked with a speech pathologist, a speech oh, therapist, wow. who taught me the difference in how when you know, young boys, they, they hit puberty, uh-huh. and what they go through over the course of 10 years, we go through in four. Right. So for our voices, it's a lot very quickly. Mm-hmm. And as the way their the, um, cisgender men, their vocal cords develop, mm-hmm it's a natural shift to speak from the chest versus the back of the throat, huh. which is where women end up speaking huh. is, is the top of the throat versus underneath. Okay. It's kind of like if you yawn, you can feel the opening up and you get a little bit of a deeper kind of thing. If you were to keep that open. Hello. Hello. A little bit. That feels so forced. <laughs> that feels so fake. It does for a while, but then it just becomes normal and natural. Yeah. So 
one of the things that happened with me is I've ended up unlike a lot of other trans guys Mm -hmm. or trans masculine folks, I've ended up with a fairly decent singing falsetto Mm -hmm. because I know how to go back and forth from the top of my throat to Mm -hmm. my chest. Mm -hmm. And that's something that just isn't inherent. Yeah. I feel like I struggle a lot because there's no, for me, there's no real good answer to my vocal dysphoria. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like over the phone anyone is going to assume pronouns other than she, her, or he, him. And so I'd, I'd rather people use he, him pronouns. I like it to, I identify as a demi boy. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it's like, if I had to pick a box, that would be the one. But I, there's a good bit of me that just like still, just bleeds over the boundaries of that box and it's not entirely contained within it and so it feels awkward still a little bit even when people use he him yeah and one of the things i've noticed is that so being from the north Mm -hmm. right the whole sir ma'am culture is very different and oh what's different about it um most women if you call them ma'am they want to smack you really oh yeah it's, oh my God. it's offensive they think you're calling them old oh my goodness when yeah. i was a child if i did not ma'am someone my mother would literally hit me that was real talk like i would get a brain duster and my mom would be like watch your manners like <laughs> if someone was an adult and that was how any adult yeah. woman is a ma'am and any adult man is a sir that's just yeah in the north it's very different it's you know don't call me sir that was my father Mm. um don't call me ma'am that you know i'm 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 not not some old old maid huh weird it's it is yeah you know spending two years in north carolina and now living in georgia that culture is very different Mm. it's every every question and i didn't i never lost that from when i lived in north carolina Mm -hmm. the answer to every question is yes sir yes ma'am yes not Mm -hmm. yes no sir no ma'am absolutely that's that's everything and i never lost that so going back up north for several years it was a shock because you know sir and ma'am people all of the time and Mm -hmm. just got so mad i didn't experience that as much when i was up north but then again i was in sort of a more rural area but what i did experience was I remember one day I went into the city and I was wandering around Boston and I happened to pass by this guy who was sitting on a park bench and you know you're walking by someone you don't want to be rude you greet them you say good morning good afternoon howdy how are you doing right like you say something you acknowledge that other human beings humanity it's the bare minimum and I said I can't remember what I said to this man, actually, but I greeted him in some way, you know, and, and it's not like I was overly familiar. I didn't look at him and be like, how's your mama now? You know, like, you know, I, I heard about her spinal surgery. You know, I didn't try to be weird about it. I was just greeting him. And he looked at me like I had three heads. Mm. Yeah, that's the Northeast. Woof. Like, woof. you would have thought that I had suddenly grown a third tit. It was truly like wild yeah no the the northeast is you know manners aren't a thing you know at all ever 
<laughs> you know, there are maybe advantages to that. Because one thing I will say about the South is while we do have this massive culture of politeness, oh, honey, we will say anything behind your back. Oh, we will say anything behind your back. Like, the gossip culture is strong with us. Oh, yeah. And the, uh, and church lady gossip. The backwards compliment or. Oh, yes. Bless your heart. That is so real. We are, well, and because of that culture of politeness, we end up saying things we don't mean. And I don't know that that's particularly helpful. And I don't know that because it is a culture of politeness more than it is an actual culture of friendliness. It's not like the Midwest. The Midwest has a culture of like real live actual friendliness. We do not. We have a culture of politeness and there is a big difference. You do not have to be friendly while you're being polite. You can be very polite and still be a complete douche. Yeah, my my mom being from the Midwest and my grandmother being raised in Illinois, it's just, yep, that's absolutely right. There's a friendliness. My mom always said, um, you know, it's there's no such thing as a stranger. Mm -hmm. It's just somebody I haven't met yet. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. an acquaintance or a friend I've not met yet. Yeah, that's really good. um, It's really something different. Hey folks, Editing Dan here again. Just wanted to thank you for joining us for episode 2 of Here's the T-Sis. Be on the lookout for our next episode very soon. We hope you enjoyed the tea.